This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. We spent a lot of time hearing about and talking about how the, if the United States is going to win out in a high-tech global economy, every young American must master high-level mathematics, and that includes algebra, geometry, trigonometry, and even calculus. And in the 40 states where the Common Core curriculum holds sway, students have to take on advanced mathematics or they're not going to graduate. But is that really true? Well, according to my guest for this part of today's show, no, that's not true at all, in fact. He says that blind faith in the powers that are ascribed to mathematics is wholly or largely wrong and lacks factual support and is based on wishful logic. To go even further, he says that mandating advanced study for everyone sacrifices huge numbers of students and prevents significant talents from being developed in other areas. Let me give you an example of how this plays out. Currently, one in five students fails to graduate from high school, and nearly half of college students leave without a degree. The reason, according to my guest, is that math classes or failure to pass math classes is the chief academic reason those students don't finish. We'll start talking about the math myth and other stories when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. There once was a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dinky Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Well, I'm taking Algebra 2 in a foreign language. Oh, so you can talk to unicorns? <laughs> huh, exactly. Unless they're French. Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find the classes he really needed. Getting into college doesn't happen magically. Learn more at knowhowtogo.org. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad, and my guest for this part of today's show is Andrew Hacker, who is the author of The Math, Myth, and Other STEM Delusions. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. So... You talk about something which, I mean, the whole book is kind of a series of, of exercises in horrification, but one of them was that some 20% or half of high school students aren't graduating and 20% of uh, college grads or actually college students are not graduating, and you're putting the blame on math classes or the failure of math classes. What is going on there? Well, what I'm saying is that uh, one out of five young Americans does not finish high school, which is awful, and it's one of the worst rates in the developed world. When you walk in the street, one out of five people doesn't have a high school diploma. And the chief academic reason is that they failed algebra. 
Now, I realize there's problems of prison and pregnancy, but we're talking about academic reasons. The same thing is true at the college level. If you take people who have finished high school and want to go on to college, whether it's two-year or four-year, over almost half don't get a degree, certainly a bachelor's degree. And the chief reason, again, is they failed freshman math at college. And my question is, why are we doing this? We're shooting ourselves in the foot. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot because all these people who are not graduating college are basically not not getting a degree in anything, when, and they could be majoring in art or music or science or something else. Is that that's where you're going with that? Uh, absolutely. They could be majoring in a whole lot of things. They could become football coaches, uh, fashion designers, uh, anything like that. And we just withhold the degree arbitrarily because we have this high math mainly algebra, hurdle that everybody has to jump over. Okay, so before we get into this, I want to go through a couple of other quick things for you to debunk about, I mean, the, the phrase STEM and STEAM has, I think the two of them have just been abused in a way to the point of, of being meaningless anymore. But they're there. We talk about how American companies can't keep up because we don't, we aren't uh, hiring, getting enough uh, engineers into our system that we have to bring them in from abroad, and that uh, China is catching up to us in the number of journal articles published, and that's all because of math. Uh, where where did this become such an obsession with with something that we clearly don't understand? Well, we're told that we live in a what's called a techno age. And a lot of us are very impressed with everything from the latest iPhone to whatever is coming down the pike. And we say, well, yes, there's a lot of technological stuff coming along. The next century is going to be based on it. But the, when it comes to the actual people who do technological or STEM work, there's no shortage at all. That's one of the many myths that we have. Uh, for example, uh, we don't have a shortage of engineers. In fact, a lot of engineers are looking for jobs. And projections by the Department of Labor for the next decade say that, in fact, with certain specialties like electrical engineering, we'll need fewer of them than we had in the past. Wow. Now, I just want to take a, a quick step back and let people know that you're not just a, a malcontent who's griping about math, that you actually were a professor of math for a while. So, I mean, you, you know what you're talking about here. Uh, I teach both political science, that was my original uh, field, and now I teach both political science and a math course. But it's not an algebra, geometry, trigonometry math course. It's one in what I call numeracy. That is becoming agile, becoming skillful with numbers in a way I called adult arithmetic. <laughs> so what goes on in that class? I'm curious. All right. Um, give you an example. Um, one of the exercises we had, and this is to get yourself, you know, really uh, skillful with numbers, is to imagine what would happen if we decimalized time. You know, the decimal system is a pretty efficient system. Our current time system is very uh, cumbersome, 60 seconds, seven days in a week, um, you know, 12 months in a year. So we decimalize time and to see what it looked like, 100 seconds in a minute and all the rest. And what we got was a configuration which actually works. 
from the query is, what would we gain by it? For example, a 10-day week. How would we work it out? Three week, weekend days in a row or maybe an off day in the middle of the week. And what we're doing is using numbers as a new type of language to better understand ourselves and what we can do. Okay. And how would that work? Just curiosity. I mean, with a 10-day week, I guess we, you know, we're, we're limited by a day being sunrise to sunrise. Oh, so we'd have would, to divide that into 10 hours or 100 hours or something instead of the 12-hour or 24 hours that it is now, right? Uh, we could have 10, 10 hours in a day. They'd be a bit longer, so we might have to divide them up. But actually, sunrise to sunrise does not apply in Alaska, for example. Uh, so, And uh, the same thing with our months. Um, we could have 10 months in a year, alternating 36 days and 37 days. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It will, it will work. Uh, but the, the reason we're doing this is, let, let me give you an example, which would be a parallel one. Suppose, as some people suggest, we should move from our current health system to a single-payer one. Now, we hear that from Bernie Sanders and a few other people. Well, what we then need to do is be to use numbers to discover what would the new one cost, where would there be gains, where there be losses, and so on. And that's what we do in my class. No algebra. We simply have what I might call a sophisticated use of numbers. Okay, so we have math. And I think one of the biggest things, and I hear this, I've got a middle school daughter, and I'm sure everybody who's got kids at various ages will tell you that they've heard the same thing and probably said the same thing, is how does this apply to my life? And I'll give you an example. Uh, I I was helping her with uh, algebra slash geometry where she's looking at transformations of figures on a, a graph, an XY graph. And there's a thing about the rotating images from the origin or rotating them at various points. And then I, I wasn't grasping that or I wasn't remembering it from my own uh, middle school days. And so I went on to Khan Academy and, and watched a couple of videos on it. And the gentleman who was doing the videos on Khan Academy was saying, well, this is incredibly important because all of the uh, animation programs and so much of computer programming has to do with, with transformations of images and scaling. And, and it, it just made no sense to me, honestly. And, <laughs> and, I, I'm, and I'm not somebody who, who runs screaming away from math. I kind of like it. Uh, but it, but this was my my inability to answer the question about how does this apply, how does this make sense in my life that, that I'm hearing and, and then finding myself asking also. What your daughter was asked to do, you, you've you never had to do that in your adult life. Now, what I do admit in the book is that about 5%, only 5% of occupations require mathematics. And, in fact, if we take... Uh, what we said, animation. And uh, some animation is very good, you know, very. It's not just like The Simpsons, you know, two-dimensional, but it's uh, got a nice three-dimensional feel to it. You need calculus to do that. But we only need a very small number of animators who, ha- who need those calculus skills. Most of the people in animation are artists, are people who uh, design the stories, the music, the background, you know, that sort of thing. Same thing is true with video games. Uh, I would say 95% of the people who work in video games, putting them together and all the rest, 
95 don't need any more math than what I call adult arithmetic. And that's, I, I guess, the, so they're talking about the people who need calculus or need these more, more complex math skills are the people who are designing the programs, because most of us would just be getting a program and using that, right? Right. And even when it comes to uh, programming and uh, software design and the rest, that's not math. Uh, coding, which is a, what's uh, you know the uh, substratum of, of everything in the computerized age, coding is it doesn't require any math at all. It's uh, a matter of instructions, which are fed through various symbols. Some are numbers, but uh, no, I, I sat in, while I was writing my book, I sat in on several uh, computer science classes. And from beginning to end, there was no mathematics involved in it at all. Talking with Andrew Hacker, who's the author of The Math, Myth, and Other STEM Delusions. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Andrew about more math myths and, more importantly, what we can do about it. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to casafamilyday.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Hi, it's Practical Polly's radio show. If you're just figuring out that healthier cooking oils are better than solid fats, you may be asking, now what am I going to do with all these tubs of lard? Ever had one of those moments when your favorite skinny jeans feel too tightly tailored? <laughs> Generously apply lard to your hips and thighs and those fancy pants will slide on like a dream. Or here's a family-friendly idea. How about making your yard into a lard fun park? Frost your driveway with a nice thick coating and give those kiddos a downhill thrill no matter what time of year. Having a bad hair day? Yep. A little lump of lard can tame your flyaways in a jiffy. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste or to your waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils, like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Now that's a tip worth keeping for life. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Andrew Hacker, who's the author of The Math, Myth, and Other STEM Delusions. Uh, Andrew, so in addition to, to the radio show and the writing that I do, I also do a lot of toy reviews and was just in New York at this massive toy fair. And the, the word STEM is everywhere, as is the word coding. And I remember seeing a lot of the new toys. Some of them are absolutely fascinating that, that talk about coding and, and thinking at some point that... You know, it used to be you would just build a tower out of blocks or you'd build a, right. <laughs> you'd put blocks together to make a roadway, and that was just having fun or building a tower out of blocks. Now that's coding, and now that's STEM. Uh, what do you think of that? The, it, it just seems to have, have taken all the fun out of childhood in a way to, to call it something that it really isn't necessarily. 
uh, I'm, I'm afraid of what's happening here because uh, we're putting such an emphasis on science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, as you know, at our colleges, uh, those departments get much of the budget, whereas poetry, philosophy, theater are being downgraded. And, uh, you know, we almost look at Koreans, we look at Chinese, and we say they're our chief competitors. Do we really want to become more like them? Because they don't have something called the liberal arts, and this has been one of the great, uh, what should I say, triumphs of American, not just education, but of life. And uh, in addition to this, I'd say that it isn't true. We don't need to have everybody be a coder, everybody no calculus. There's no need for that at all. What do we do then? Uh, what I would say is, uh, how should I put it? Uh, don't go with that tide. What, will, what we really need are creative ideas, and there are a lot of people who are very creative, including children. You talked about blocks in the past. You know, the things with blocks were, you built your own house with those blocks. Today, you have to follow the instructions. And I would say that the, the kid who starts making a palace or a railroad station or whatever they do with blocks is more likely to think of a new type of Google or Facebook or Twitter for the upcoming century, uh, something that nobody had ever thought about before. Now, do you think that mathematics or any particular subset of mathematics is good for thinking in general, that it helps you process information, that it's a good way to learn how to think? Uh, this, I would say, uh, is uh, myth number four, the notion <laughs> okay. that math teaches you how to think. Yes, it teaches you how to think about mathematics, but it is almost as if that kind of thinking is in a closed room, like a geometrical proof. It's Geometrical proof is about geometry. Uh, take one example, experience I had, and uh, I've <laughs> I have been a juror uh, five times. I don't know why they keep picking me. Because uh, <laughs> you're such a mathematical criminal. thinker. That's why. Uh, there you go. They've all been criminal trials, two of them murders. And uh, what the prosecution says to the jurors are, we, the prosecution, will prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that defendants actually you know, fired the gun and killed someone. Proved. Now, that kind of proof is fascinating. That proof is based on evidence, of all sorts that you have to weigh and so on. The proof in geometry and algebra has nothing to do with proof, let's say, in a, in a criminal trial. And it's just, as I say, kind of, they used to talk about locked room puzzles. Uh, the mathematical proof isn't a locked room. Now, let's take mathematicians. We all may know someone. Would we go to a... Uh, mathematician for a solution to the Syrian crisis? I mean, uh, hey, they're awfully good <laughs> at topology, but what's that got to do when you have, you know, everything that's swirling around in a country called Syria? You know, as people go through their daily lives, though, whether they know it or not, they're being assaulted by mathematical concepts all the time, and there's there's some that I that just make me want to scream when you talk about some, particularly something, the, the phrase, this is the fastest growing whatever it is. 
Uh, and, and if you look at the numbers, and I happen to be somebody who likes to look at the numbers, you realize that this thing went from 1% to 2%, which is a, a, a massive change. And the, the other market share happened to have been 70%. Well, they're not going to go from 70 to 140, so they can't possibly have the same level of acceleration. So there is out there, I think, a need for what you're talking about, numeracy, that there is is kind of an innumeracy in a way that people throw numbers around without really using them, or they don't understand the difference between percent and a percentage when somebody wins a, win a pri- presidential primary by 42% over 38%. That that's not, you know, that you have to be careful about how you describe the difference between those two. Absolutely. And you also have to know, ask, is this a reliable sample? How are the questions worded? You know, all sorts of questions like that. And then I'm teaching this in this pilot course in numeracy that I'm teaching. Uh, that's what we do. And we look at numbers in the real world. Uh, for example, uh, you, read it, you read in the paper that... Um, cell phones may damage your brain. Well, let's look at the numbers and see what's really going on there. And Now, there's one problem, though, and that is that in high schools and colleges, whether it's high school teachers or college professors in mathematics, they don't want to teach numeracy because they don't get status points for that. They call it dumbing down, demeaning. Uh, what they feel that we have to do is algebra, trigonometry, calculus, you know, which is difficult, rigorous. Well, that's true. But uh, as I said, it, this is math is mainly in this locked room. Currently, there are 4 million 14-year-olds who are taking a course in algebra. The question is, why? And I would put the math people on the defensive. I would make them show persuasively why it's really necessary that every single 14-year-old sits through quadratic equations. I wonder about that because it seems like if you if you stop at certain places, you're you're limiting where somebody could go. I mean, some people may not develop an interest in math, or they may realize five years later that ah, you know, if I only would have finished that math class, now I could really get into something that I I enjoy more. But I have to go back and take that remedial class. Uh, I mean, do you do you not see a value in having some basic minimum standards? I mean, I can see you know cutting it off in college, making it optional, but do you really want to cut it off in middle school? Well, let's try this. Uh, what do we really want to make everybody do trigonometry? You know, tangents, sines, cosines. Boy, I hope everybody, not. because five percent may need use trigonometry later. Everybody, just for five percent, and if we make everybody do it. 20% will fail, and they'll lose their chance at an education because of that. And then getting on to college, even more will fail. Uh, we just have to ask the cost of this. Now, to tell the truth, if you discover that you really do need trig for something you want to do, take the course. Take it in the evening. You can do that. Uh, we have people, for example, who discover later that they want to become a doctor, so they can take a few pre-med courses at a community college and catch up. Okay. And how is your numeracy class being received by the people who are taking it? Well, the, the students have told me they really enjoy it. 
they were afraid they were going to have more algebra, and they discovered that, and and we're doing everything, like, for example, uh, marriages, uh, who marries whom, and a lot of numbers on that. Hey, Alan, I don't know the answer, but the number yeah. tells you something new, something's going on here, and you get it from the numbers. Well, and it makes you think, and that's the purpose of the whole thing. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, as a teacher, there's nothing more important than that, making you think. and But all sorts of things make you think. T.S. Eliot's poetry makes you think. Uh, thinking about was the Civil War inevitable in the U.S. makes you think. Uh, and I would suggest that that kind of thinking, whether it's poetry or history, is probably more serious thinking than what you learn in math. Because the thinking in math is just thinking about math itself. Andrew Hacker is the author of The Math, Myth, and Other STEM Delusions. Andrew, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Well, you asked all the right questions, and I enjoyed myself, Armand. (laughs) Thank you. And good luck to your daughter, by the way. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better, and kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor, because when a child succeeds... We all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brott. You know, a lot of the STEM-related toys and games that we review here on Positive Parenting in our Parents at Play segments focus on science and engineering. This week, though, we're going to take a look at a number of entertaining games that emphasize math. They're all from Jack's Limited, and you can find out more about all of them at jacksgames.com. Let's start with the game of chips. Players take turn rolling the dice and removing any combination of chips that are numbered 1 through 10 that match what they rolled. For example, if you roll an 8, you can take out the 8, the 7, and the 1, the 6 and the 2, the 5 and the 3, the 5, the 2, and the 1, or the 4, the 3, and the 1. This part of the game is a great way for young players to use and master basic addition facts. It's for two or more players age 7 and up and costs about 8 bucks. Match them. Each player gets five cards, and the first player lays one down. The next in line plays as many cards as possible to match the value of the first player's card. It's similar to what we were just talking about in the game of chips. If you can't come up with a match, you draw two from the deck and either make a match or establish a new target. The goal, of course, is to be the first to use all your cards. To win, you're going to need a combination of luck and strategy and a pretty good sense of humor. It's for two to four players, ages seven and up, and costs only around $4. Over and out. It all starts with what they call a tip-top card. Players draw cards from the deck and play cards from their own hand, keeping track of the total, and hoping not to be the one who goes over the tip-top limit. It's not all about addition, though. Special cards require players to subtract or even change the tip-top number. 
a fun, fast-paced way to use basic math facts and, of course, to spend time together, which is what it's all about, right? It's for two to eight players, ages seven and up, and costs about $7. Polygon. The rules of this game are sometimes a challenge to follow, but the game itself is well worth learning. Each of the six-sided pieces has three numbers and three colors, and your goal is to lay down your tiles in patterns and combinations that get you the most points. It sounds simple, but this game requires a lot of thinking and strategizing. It's for two to four players, ages seven and up, cost 16 bucks. Sequence Numbers If you like the sequence games, and we've talked about a lot of them here on Parents at Play and Positive Parenting, you already have a pretty good idea of how to play sequence numbers. But this one's a little bit different. In the other sequence games, you match pictures on cards with pictures on the game board itself. In numbers, each card has an addition or subtraction equation, and the answers are on the board. You solve the equation and put down your chip. As with other sequence games, the goal is to get five chips in a row, up, down, or diagonally. To make it a little easier to find your answer on the board and to help younger players double-check their math, the equation and the correct answer are printed in the same color on the cards and on the board. This is a really fun game that will get you and the kids thinking and laughing together as you brush up on your basic math facts. It's for ages 7 and up, for 2 to 4 players, around 1650. You'll find reviews of a lot more toys and games that parents and kids can do together at parentsatplay.com. And we'll be back next week with another Parents at Play column or possibly an Ask Mr. Dad column. Until then, I'm Armin Brott. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.